Okay, and we are live. Episode four of Los Cachirules podcast. Welcome everybody. We have Soccer Chronicle, Ronnie. We have Juan. We have John, Christian, and we have Joelito listening. And I'm Beto coming to you here on the podcast. And we have a special guest, uh, Pajaro Picon, who's uh, El Salvador fan, and uh, we've got a lot of a lot of information on El Salvador. A lot of tw uh, his Twitter feed is full of uh, uh, good information on what's been going on, and and we're pretty much going to start the show with the uh, sort of a question answer or interview type of uh, initial part for uh, for uh, Pajaro Picon, and uh, I'll throw that to you guys for any questions you guys have first. I have a few, but uh, I'll let you guys begin. All right, I I, I want to ask him uh, first. Um, now, obviously, you know, when uh, when these sort of situations happen, you have the pr the press. Sometimes they don't know what to do because they love to attack players and they love to attack the federation. And in situations like this, is sometimes you don't really can't get a good gauge as to what's going on because the press, you know, they 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 have their own agenda. From the fans' perspective. Are they siding with the players or are they siding with the federation? In your opinion. Well, well, first of all, hi everyone. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. And um, just to start with the with the press, the issue. Yeah, I think it was very surprising to see the press turn against the players this time. And uh, I think that was a reaction to how the the fans re reacted to when the news broke out, starting with uh, Sunday night. And I think now everyone's kind of realizing. That as of today, I kind of got a feeling of okay, we gotta create a dialogue and we gotta get both parts together. And you know, because we in the end we're all gonna lose, you know, if we don't do something. Um, and uh, so that's kind of like the feeling now. But yes, I think most of the press is uh, against the players. I don't think they're siding with fast food, but they are siding with the with that them for the moment. I don't think they're yeah, that's kinda like the feeling right now. All right. And and for those that don't know what's going on right now, uh basic basically um on October tenth, uh the players uh wrote a basically a petition to their federation but they didn't turn it in until uh the fourteenth. And basically on the petition and I'm looking at the website right now, basically the players were demanding uh for the teams for the players that were for uh, the ones in El Salvador, bonuses of a thousand dollars, and for the ones the uh, the ones playing internationally, two thousand dollars. As far as bonuses throughout the World uh, World Cup qualifying campaign, uh, if they got a point, if they won, or you know, if they won on the road, forty five hundred dollars. If they won at home, three thousand dollars. If they got if they tied at home, a thousand. If they tied on the road, fifteen hundred dollars. Um, they also wanted uh, a per diem of a hundred dollars, including, um, I guess, the ball boy or uh, the guys that sets the, you know the cones and stuff. And they also wanted a, a massage therapist. Um, also, they wanted let's see, they wanted better better flights. They wanted minimum of three. Uh, tickets to the games. I, I'm assuming for their families. Yeah. That a foot foot massage, right? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just yeah, foot massage is just a, uh, a masseuse. Uh, they also wanted they have they also wanted to have a minimum of a four star state of uh, four four star hotel. And uh, I guess the Fed, the Federation Football they came back and they wrote a letter saying that they're they're basically the the, the, the players if I'm not mistaken here it says here that they're asking for the thirty one thousand. The Federation says twenty three thousand. And basically, they're going back and forth as to the, the prices. Now, uh, from you know, I, I guess seeing it from from a, a, a Mexican fan perspective, you know, these in you know the numbers, you know, the numbers in, in Mexican football are obviously a lot bigger, and you know, with a lot more money. How? I guess my next question is how. I mean, are these obscene? Like, is this obscene type of money? Within like the Mexican or I'm not Mexican, uh, the Salvadoran Football Federation. I mean, because okay. yeah, because I mean, tw- 31,000 31, divided by you know what, eighteen guys. Twenty-three guys plus the two or the three. Um, what do you call them? Uh, the, the massage, the, the massage therapist, and and whatever assistant coach or whatever this guy would be. But but yeah, go on. I mean. I mean, is this is this asking a lot? Okay, well, there's two issues here. I mean, if we're just talking purely about the money issue and the quant- the quantities, I don't think it is a lot. But uh, there is a sensitive subject. Money is a sensitive subject right now, and when fast food disclosed this to the public, I mean, that's when this became an issue. I don't think. Giving them a thousand dollars is an issue. The problem is disclosing this to everyone, and that's when they created this crisis. Um, also, the fact that since this letter was given to Fast Food back on the 14th, nothing was done by by the by Fast Food. So on Sunday, the players got to the hotel. You guys tweeted the picture a few days yes. ago, right? They they got to the hotel on Sunday night. And they decided to leave that night because nothing was being done in regards to the letter. Uh, so just to put some pressure, they decided to leave uh, without negotiating that night. Um, I think that's where I think they, the players made a mistake by leaving. I never thought they would do that. You know, I was kind of hurt, but I understand that the requests are normal. Um, but just the, how everything was done, I think that's the main issue. Office food just released everything and how the players reacted to what Fist Food did, and now you have the media against the players, so it's a big crisis right now. And then another issue, which is a bigger issue, is not just the $1,000, is the infrastructure in the country in terms of soccer fields, in terms of uh, the hotels where the players stay or when they travel for friendlies or the itineraries for players that are in Europe. Some of them have to take four different flights to get to their destination. And it's not a first-class ticket, it's just a regular tourist ticket. Uh, and this is going back to when De Los Cobos was the coach. So we're, this is not a new problem, it's, nothing, it's not a new complaint. And it's been happening, and every coach that goes to El Salvador, they complain about the same thing. Uh, so. It's a recurring issue. I think players just got tired of it and decided to to put more um, 
to take action, you know, and have this strike now. The timing, I think, was kind of bad to do this right before the the game against Mexico. It's, it's really bad timing for this. So, yeah, there's different issues going on. All right, uh, who else wants to ask a question? Yeah, this is John. I uh, uh, wouldn't mind asking a couple of questions. Uh, uh, first of all, thanks for, for being on the show. And uh, um, it's... Uh, my 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 history with El Salvador goes back a ways. I was uh, I was a kid when El Salvador beat Mexico in the uh, Honduras campaign back in '82 to uh, get them to the World Cup. So uh, it's just wow. been kind of a, kind of a weird rivalry. And, and I've always thought that the Buscatran is one of the great stadiums uh, in this area to, for, for for qualifying. I think it's a really tough place to play, and I'm really it's. Uh, it's it, it, it's fun to watch. I mean, I've never seen a game there personally, but it's fun to watch games there on TV, especially the national games. But anyway, my question is: uh, How many uh, El Salvadorian players play in Europe? And uh, didn't is uh, Rodolfo Salaya one of them? Because uh, I remember seeing him at the 2011 Gold Cup and was really impressed. And I thought he was going to uh, be a, a like a superstar. And I haven't really seen or heard from him since. Um, so right now we have two players. Uh, one is a uh, Pablo Buñez, his he plays in Iceland, in the first division in Iceland, and then we have Bonilla, Nelson Bonilla, he plays in Azerbaijan. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, in the first division there. Uh, as of now, those were the two players. Uh, Arturo Alvarez, which is probably like the most known player right now. He was in Hungary, but he just left. His dream is to play in uh, for MLS again, so he's training in uh, Dallas right now, but he was also in Europe. And then talking about Celaya, uh, I think everyone knows him and it's one of the players that get gets the most press and because of what he did and in the past, in the Gold Cup a few years ago, uh, but he was one of the players who was involved in the, in the match uh, fixing. So he was banned from soccer for a year. Uh, most of the players got a lifetime uh, ban, and uh, he was one of the lucky ones who only got a year. But there's still that feeling that he sold our country. He was part of the the people who who sold our colors, right, for a few thousand dollars. So I don't. Uh, so now he's not a part of the team. I don't know if he will ever be called to the teams. A lot of people want him. Uh, a lot of people don't want him. So this is a very touchy subject. Uh, part, pardon my ignorance. I mean, I know that there was the match fixing, but my question, how how did they determine or who, how did they find out or who was the whistleblower that there was, you know, 15 so players that were in on the fix? I mean, who? how did they, how did the Federation... Salvadoran Federation, how did they find out? Well, there's a player called uh, Turcios. He was one of the defenders. Danilo, and, right? Danilo? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, and then he went to ESPN. Uh, Palomo, you guys know Palomo. He's the Salvadorian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, and the Nagy. So, so he had him on, the, on, on like a special show on ESPN, and he basically said, yes, this is what's happening, and uh, that's when everything blew up, and from there... Uh, I'm not sure who exactly went to fast food and gave the names of all the players, but uh, even the police got involved. There were investigations. There's like all kinds of like media, like 
uh, WhatsApp conversations, and you can see the players going back and forth about, all right, let's see, we're going to meet here, we're going to meet there, try to get this other guy to, to do this. Uh, so there's a lot of evidence. I'm not sure if every player who was involved got a ban, but about 20 players got banned uh, I was, after I, the investigation. I was actually looking at, uh, at the list uh, actually last night, and you know, because that's actually one of the you know the questions that I wanted to ask you. But I noticed, you know, a lot of those players. I was looking at their age. They they're kind of like, it, it, it seems like a, the the vast majority of them were kind of already past their prime or, or getting to that point for this World Cup cycle. So, I mean, I, I guess that begs the question. I mean, I'm assuming those guys will take, you know, will take a, a dive because they knew that their careers were basically, you know, winding down, I, I should say. Uh, uh, I don't know if I would agree with that because, for example, Salaya, we were just talking about him. He's very young. He's probably like 27 right now. Right, right. Uh, so a lot of the, those players would be at their prime now if it wasn't for that band. That was the generation that should be playing now in the qualifying rounds, not the one that's playing, like the the, the, the one they're actually playing, the generation that's actually playing. Yeah. I don't think they were ready for for this now. I think the, they were the ones that were supposed to follow the, the players that got banned. They, they still had a... They were at their prime, you know, there will be at their prime now. Quick, a quick question, this is Fernando, by the way, how are you doing? Hi, Fernando. Hey, so those players that limited the United States back in 2012, those are the ones, the generation that you're talking about? That's the generation that's playing now, yes. So you have Flores, who plays for Cosmos in New York. I think he was the captain, uh, some of the defenders were there too. So that is the generation that we have now for the national team. I got a question on the... Uh... On the players, I was reading an article. I think it was the vice president of the federation said that uh, that if if they choose not to play, there's plenty of other players to that will play. Like as if there was like a, you know, I guess the the B team or whatever. Is that was that is that the case or? Uh, no, I... I I think it's just part of the negotiation. They're just trying to put pressure. Uh, I think I, even with the players that we have in the national team right now. It would be a challenge. I think we all know that that it's going to be a very difficult group for us to play against Mexico and and uh, Honduras and Canada. It's not going to be easy. So even with these players, who are the players who've been to, they have been together for a while since Roca was the uh, the coach. You know, so they've been following this process for a few years now. Back, like, I would say, two years now. So just starting from scratch, like next week. Uh, in a week before going to Mexico City, I don't think that's doable. I think it's just uh, just to put pressure on the players to give up on their on their requests. You don't think um, El Salvador has a chance to beat Mexico in this next uh, World Cup qualifier? Are we talking about in Azteca or in Cuscatlan? Either. I think they do have a chance in uh, El Estadio Cuscatlan. Um, I think it. I, from the games I've seen on TV or being there, uh, I, I know it's very difficult for Mexican players to be there. There's a lot of pressure, and for us, beating Mexico, it, it's it's a big deal. You know, it, there's like a special thing there, right? So they give their 110% in those games, 
and the crowd is going to, I mean, the stadium is going to be packed at night. They're going to be making a lot of noise. Does that frustrate you as a fan that, I mean, and this is something that's always bugged me about watching Central American teams is that they, you know, Honduras and El Salvador and even in Costa Rica, Guatemala occasionally just bust their ass when they play the U.S. and Mexico. And then when they play other countries, it just, they just fall apart. And I've always wondered, and, and I think Costa Rica finally did it in this last World Cup, so it's like if they could just pretend that they're playing the U.S. and Mexico, then I think they'd do pretty well. I've always thought that if uh, if you sent, you know, Italy or, or somebody like that to try to play in the Cuscatán to, 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 to see exactly what, you know, how unbelievably intimidated it is, I think they would give anybody a game there. But uh, so does that frustrate you to see them play so well against one team and then against the other ones? They just like and Mexico does the same play thing. as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it's frustrating, but I do agree with the comment that uh, they they definitely don't act the same way against other teams. It's, they're very regular in in their um, motivation motivation in terms of it, motivation. It's funny you bring that up, John, because um, remember during the I don't know if you saw the uh, telecast of the uh, the game between the U seventeen Mexico Australia. And it was uh, the Sammy and, the, and Hermosillo were talking about that is that when, you know, Mexico faces, when they go up against, you know, the Giants, the big, you know, superpowers, they play unbelievable matches. And then when they play against teams that are, you know, on paper, not to the par of, you know, of the Mexican football, it's like they go down to their level. So, you know, like right now, what's, you know, the, the, the whole situation that's going on with, with El Salvador that in a way, you know, as a Mexico fan, that kind of scares me because I, I have a, I, I don't want, you know, I have a feeling that Mexico is going to take them lightly because they're going to think that they're going to go into this game, you know, not prepared. And the last thing, the last thing that Mexico wants is a team from El Salvador going into Azteca and basically play 90 minutes bunker ball where they just park the bus because it's going to be frustrating. Right. You know? No, it is. It is absolutely. It's uh, yeah. By the way, I think I guess later in the show, I think we actually have a coach that knows how to beat it, and he talked about it a few weeks, a few days ago in Univision. But we'll talk about that later. Right, right. No, but also going back, going back to uh, going back to uh, El Salvador. One thing that strikes me is, you know, normally the coach, the coach, uh, you know, tends to side with the players. I haven't sensed that about you know uh, Ramon Mariaga. It seems like he's, you know, I know that he's in a tough spot. But it, it seems like he hasn't really thrown any words of encouragement to the players, and he's just like – it seems like he's signing with the, uh, with, um, with the Federation. Am, am I right in that assessment? Um, well, he hasn't uh, – I, I think he's kind of being neutral. I mm -hmm. don't think he wants to side with one side or the other, but he's an employee of his food, so ultimately I think he will side with his food. I mean, though. He'll go with whatever his food says. But yeah, he hasn't said much. All right. Well, who wants to ask another question? I have a question for uh, for Pajaro. Um, given given the fact that uh, what happened with the match fixing scandal a few years ago, um, even for us outsiders, we would we would think that. Uh, you know, that's, that's almost like worst-case scenario when you have 20 players that are removed from the national team, uh, especially because of something like that, uh, you know, a, a scandal like that is, is, just, is just terrible. Because 
no matter what anybody says, I mean, uh, national teams are supposed to be the cream of the crop. Um, and, and as a Mexican fan, we found out this summer uh, there is no way to have two teams really. You can maybe have um, a team that has a couple of really good players and some other players that are considered prospects at the national team level. But for, for El Salvador, uh, let's say that this doesn't get resolved. Let's say that, that uh, the players decide to to stick to their guns and, 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 and not show up or, or, or just abandon altogether this upcoming uh, camp or, uh, you know, the, for these upcoming games, this would be, in essence, a new low for El Salvador because I don't, I don't see how, how going into this game against Mexico with, with what would be considered the B team, I don't see how that, that would be beneficial to anybody for Salvadoran football, it, it just it seems like a lot of posturing on both sides, and 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 even recently this this week there was an interview with the vice president of the federation, and I, and I think John or um, I think somebody touched on this just a few minutes ago. He was pretty much on air saying, "Well, if they don't want to come, we'll just we'll just get some other players." Uh, that seems extremely short-sighted to me. Now, if this does end up happening. Do you think this will set back El Salvador for even longer than than what this scandal, this this match fixing scandal, did a few years ago? Uh, well, now I think the timing is definitely different because two years ago we were not really in any big competitions. Now this is the World Cup. You know what we're fighting for. We're trying to get into the World Cup, so the timing couldn't have been worse. Um, especially just being what two two less than two weeks um, from the game, um, so it would definitely be a a big issue. Uh, I don't know if we have touched bottom yet. I mean, there's fears now that Maradiaga could leave because of everything that he's seen in like the few what weeks that he's been over there. So <laughs> this could get a, a lot worse. I don't know if this is. This is just the end of the crisis, you know. There's talk about players leaving the the national team too. I just heard that today, um, so we'll probably find find out by Sunday or maybe Monday when a new the the group gets together again. They're supposed to like all be in uh, El Salvador by uh, by Monday to start training. So that's when we're we're really gonna find out what. This, I mean, I don't know if there's going to be a negotiation or not. I hope there is one. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. I think uh, I don't even want to think about what's going to happen if we go with a B team to El Azteca. Well, I can tell uh, you what can happen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, no, hey, Fajardo, I have another. I have another question. Um, and it's not really, it's not really about the World Cup qualifiers, but just the general state of, you know. Football affairs in El Salvador. One of one of the things that has always you know surprised me is that you know hi historically El Salvadoran football, you know was uh, was more established uh, than a lot of their Central American counterparts. Yes. Now one 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 of the things that that gets me, and even Guatemala, for, for, you know they have a long you know long history. It, it, it seems like you know Panama. In ten years, has really you know has really improved their football. Costa Rica obviously has you know is 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 good, and Honduras, 
has also picked up their game in the last 20 years. And what seems to me is that, like, for example, Guatemala, which, and, and also El Salvador, it, it seems like they have not really improved, you know, at the national team level. It seems like they're staying, they're staying behind, they're staying behind, and, you know, you know, Honduras, Costa Rica, and Panama, it seems like they just keep improving and improving. And that to me seems odd because, I mean, if, if, if one football federation should have the money to improve, it should be the El Salvadorian because, I mean, the Mexican Federation, they have they, – they, they're in a, in a very good position that they can make money on both sides of the border, in Mexico and in the U.S. Yes. You have you, – in the United States, there's many communities you know, spread out throughout the United States that have you know, large concentrated communities of, of Salvadorans. You know that you know that you know that that like football, and it seems as like I mean, is it is it that the foot, football feder, you know the the, the football um, owners are they just not are they just stealing the money or or are they just not you know marketing that well to the U.S. Cr crowd? I mean, uh, well, talking about with the last thing, the marketing, there is no marketing, and that's one of my complaints. We don't have any marketing. Uh, just right there with the Salvadorian community in the U.S., fast food could be sustainable and pay the players more than what they're asking for right now. But there, there's no type of marketing. There's no marketing office in fast food, and that's just one of the problems. That's a very minor problem. The big problem is that the president and the vice president and the whole uh, team of people who are running our soccer are very mediocre. They're thinking the old way that because we made it to the World Cup in 1970 and 1982 without really having any like re or reached any professional level uh, that we can do it again like that's always the argument back in the days we didn't have this we didn't have that and we made it to the World Cup so it's the old way of thinking and we need new people fresh minds at fast food and I think that's when things will change, but in the meantime, it's just going to be more of the same. Like I said, every coach that goes to El Salvador, they highlight the same issues. There's not enough soccer fields. Uh, you, you know what? I think, I think, I'm sorry, I mean, the players. Yeah, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you up, but like, I think that's a big problem that, you know, there is a market here in the U.S. for El Salvador to grow and to, you know, guys have their own Salvador Molero partidos, you know? Like this, like they—they they seriously have. They all—they like, already have. Yeah, some of them plays here all the time. You know, like exactly. Th there's like festivals, pupusa festivals here in Arizona, in Arizona where they hate immigrants. You know, so if you, they can have, I'm sure they have though in LA. There, there's a market to exploit, and your, I guess your organization is just not taking advantage of it. Exactly. Well, it's it's funny because you said about the marketing because I noticed you know one of the you know when I was looking for a, you know a Salvadoran fan you know for the for the show, uh, I looked at the, the 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 Twitter feed for the Salvadoran Federation, and they have what six thousand and you have basically fifteen hundred. I'm thinking what you just <laughs> said about it is like they have no marketing. You're right, they have no marketing because, I mean, as John said, you know. That you you always you you always have Salvadorian teams play in the U.S. I mean, since I was in college back at the University of Houston, I mean, sometimes we would have double headers where you would have like Fidel play Dragon or whatever, and then you know, following after you had you know the Mexican teams play over there at the at the old University of uh, well the Robertson Stadium, 
and it, and it just it it just to me it's mind boggling how the you know the Salvadoran Football Federation hasn't you know hasn't capitalized on the money that can be made over here and basically use it to to improve their football domestically and it, it just it, it just seems that you know the further you know the, the longer they 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 don't do it you know Panama Costa Rica and Honduras they're just going to keep getting better and better yeah it's it's very sad how we're lagging uh, I was just tweeting that yesterday how like back in the 80s and the 70s we were very dominant in not only in Central America but in CONCACAF. Uh, we made it to the World Cup when only two teams could make it, and that's very impressive, you know, if you think about it. Uh, but since then, we've just been lagging, lagging. While teams like you guys said, like Panama and Costa Rica, they already caught up and they already surpassed us. Uh, it was very uh, painful the first time that we saw Panama come into Cuscatlan and beat us. I think it was three to one the last game, uh, and it was very it, it was it created an outrage and kind of like a wake up call, uh, but it kind of just died down and it's back to the same old thing and nothing really happens. You know, it's it's I I I have had that fight for a long time. I don't know if I can do much from Twitter, but I wish I could be a fist food and do something. You know, and a lot of people say the same thing. But well, maybe maybe you you need to you know trade ideas with the Pancho Villa's army. You know, the guys that uh, started <laughs> you know started the uh, Mexican uh, supporters group. I mean, those guys. I mean, they're thousands strong here in the U.S. You could be the magic, the magical man. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the magical Gonzalez man. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pr players are trying to do to change things right now, and look what happened. You know, they are. They are asking for change, for better conditions, for uh, a more professional treatment for the players, and look where this ended up. You know, so. uh, just a quick question: uh, How do folks in El Salvador feel about uh, the Conca Champions? And because of the fact that El Salvador has gotten well, two, I guess two questions: Because of you know, the El Salvador didn't have, uh, like you said, there's you know their, their, their tradition is, is lacking, which is real frustrating. Are El Salvadorian fans looking at other leagues uh, as they're, you know, maybe finding whether it's in Europe or MLS or even Liga MX, or is is a foreign team uh, the first team for a Salvadorian, or is their heart still with their club team? Uh, yeah, no, there's some popular teams in El Salvador like Alianza, FAS, Aguila, and lately Metapan. Uh, so they do have a big following, but people also follow like mostly Spanish soccer, La Liga, you know, Real Madrid and Barcelona mainly. So if you go there, you'll see people wearing the Barca or the Real Madrid jerseys everywhere. That was Joel's question. Uh, was it? Yeah, that, that's, yeah. A good, that's a good answer yeah. um, about the globalization. Yeah. I got that w one question, and then we're probably going to have to wrap it up because we got to talk uh, Mexican soccer. And you're more than welcome to you know stay in, in and join and stuff like that. But uh, this one's uh, more of a... Uh, um, and now, I don't know how true this is. I don't know how. I know there's a rivalry between you know Salvadorians and Mexicans in football, and especially you see it more you know on this side of you know in, in the U.S. Now, you know, it, it, and it's funny because I, I guess I guess you know when Mexico plays in, in El Salvador, the treatment towards you know the Mexican team is pretty rough, like you know to the point where. You know, they deliberately, you know, 
you know, you know, don't give the Mexican you know team you know hot water and stuff like that. And I just, I mean, I remember from dec- you know from like the late you know, early nineties and stuff like that, the players complaining about the conditions and stuff like that. And and I know John, I think you were you're talking about it or uh, chatting about it about the you know when Aguirre went to to Cuscatlan and they were giving them the, the SARS treatment. Right. Now, how how much is that hatred? You know, towards Mexico, and is it is it football related or is it just in general? Uh, well, first of all, I don't know if it's hatred, but there's definitely a big rivalry, uh, and I think it's a it goes both ways. Like we remember things that happened in Azteca when we found bees uh, in the like the goal area. Uh, was it like I don't know how a few years ago? So things yeah, that, yeah, things that kind of happened in Mexico that we also rem- things that Hugo Sanchez said back in the '80s about. I was going to ask you that. <laughs> Balón Cuadrado. Yeah, Balón yeah. Thing. That was very uh, hurtful to our fans. And uh, so it goes both ways. Uh, but, I mean, I'm not going to deny it. There's there's something more personal when Mexico goes to El Salvador. And that's, that's a big deal for us. Have you, ever, have you ever seen it in the stadium? I've been there not, not in a uh, game against Mexico, but I have been... Uh, Cuscatlan in the Vietnam area, that's what we call it, uh, when uh, we play during the qualifying. <laughs> you know, it's funny because when Texas plays Arkansas, they play in a town called Fayetteville, we call it Vietnam for the very same reasons. <laughs> very tough place to play. So would you say that the that the fan, the, the fanaticism in El Salvador is still at, you know, pretty high? Because I, I recall, I don't have a history like uh, like John, as, as far back as John does, but I recall during the H1N1, like the swine flu uh issues that were going on in Mexico, that the, the fans in El Salvador were just going crazy, and it was like an environment that I've never seen before when uh, Mexico went down there to play. Is that still the case uh, currently? Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, we're big soccer fans. I mean, I speak for myself, but I know my dad, everyone in my family, when El Salvador, El Salvador plays, no matter if they're doing well or not, we're going to be watching the games or going to the stadium and... I see it. We all love soccer. If maybe not the teams from over there, but we're watching soccer. We're watching like Liga from Mexico or La Liga from Spain, and there's always something soccer related. That's in our blood. Yeah, is is there a popular? Is there a prevailing popular Mexican team in El Salvador? Other other uh, than Pumas? <laughs> Actually, Pumas is one of the the big ones. Yes, America. I think it's another one, probably there. Any America. Chivas fans? I uh, doubt it. They're all Mexican. This it's an all Mexican team. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about Chivas, but Unam and uh, America, yes. All right, all right. We, we, by, we by, the way, by the way, Pato, uh, good to have you on your, on the show. Uh, this is Juan speaking. Uh, uh, I wanted to ask you, what what are the big teams uh, in El Salvador? I remember as a kid in the. Uh, here in LA, we a few times we went to see uh, Luis Angel Firpo play Pumas or or America or Faz, and I you know always wondered if those were the big teams in the El Salvador league. Yes, those are. I mean, Luis Angel Firpo is not in second division, but they are trying to get back to first division. Uh, but it's still a big team. They they have a lot of followers. Alianza, Faz, Aguila. Uh, those are the big teams. Yes. And there's the Metapan, like I said, lately they've been. And, also uh, and which, team, uh, which team? Which team? Which team are you? 
Uh, you, I'm from a town called Sonsonate, and they just made it to first division. Oh, that's so, awesome! Congratulations! Just a new team in first division. Yeah. Yes, not not so one of the big ones, but I'm loyal to to my town. That's awesome. Hey, Bottle, which one has the hottest cheerleaders? <laughs> uh, I mean, there's cute girls everywhere, but I've seen a lot of... Uh, San Vicente, that's the, that's yeah, well, the one. Going back that's, to the, the 80s, that's the one. <laughs> going back to the 80s, yeah, San Vicente. <laughs> I, <laughs> I would have to agree. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Pajaro. I appreciate it. So oh, if no, you want to stick around, you can. You, you can. We're, gonna just, we're just going to start talking uh, about the... Uh, right, well, right now, next subject, we're going to talk about the uh, Under-17 uh, World Cup. In Mexico. So if you want to stick around, you're more than welcome to. But, but again, thanks for joining us. And uh, I'll definitely be keeping track, you know, of uh, of your tweets and everything. And what well, you have to say. Very informative. Well, yeah, congrats on, uh, on the U17 team. You guys are doing very well. And you guys are a role model for El Salvador. You know? yeah, I always look up to you, how you guys are succeeding at the international level. And not just with the national team, but with the young teams as well. So congrats. Well, thank, thank you, man. Thank you. I'll have a pupusa for you just for that. <laughs> <laughs> we saw a lot of curtido and salsa, please. <laughs> oh, yeah. That watery salsa? Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. Thanks thank a lot, you. man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, so Mexico versus Chile. U-17s. Uh, I I tapped it in the second uh, second uh, half. I was coming in from work, but uh, from what I you know uh, I, what I saw, I liked. Uh, I mean, Mexico kept you know pressing. They kept going, and one of the things that that I really liked is that even after Mexico had the lead, you know the you know the two one, the three one, is that they didn't you know they didn't protect the the lead. They didn't protect the score. I mean, they they kept on playing. They weren't protecting and, a lot. I imagine. <laughs> You know, yeah, I was getting they, a little nervous. I think well, they, the, couldn't the they couldn't protect the lead. It was uh, Chile was all over them. The, the last, last fifteen. The last 15 scary minutes. man. No, no, no. There was there was maybe about five minutes where when the the transition when they were going back, they were going they weren't that as organized. But you know, even when they were up, you know, two one three one, they didn't they didn't protect the lead. And I mean, they they didn't protect the lead because they could have protected the lead with what what thirty thirty five uh, minutes left in the match. They they still wanted to win and they still wanted to go and, and I like that, you know. I think you know like I just for me for me I hate when teams still have thirty twenty minutes to uh, and, they, and they send everybody call off the dogs. I mean many like many Mexico versus Holanda exactly exactly. So I mean there, there's a, there's a time and there's a place you know there's a time and to do it and and okay, I can understand if you have three minutes left or five minutes left in the game. But you know, I, I like the fact that you know, even and this was not, and this is not just against Chile. They did it, you know, with you know, with with the other teams, you know, uh, that they played and they played. They tried to play ninety minutes. And I was that, impressed. I was really impressed with that because I only got to watch the second half as well. And uh, what impressed me the most is it was that when they would string passes together, you know, nine times out of ten they were creating a, 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 a serious scoring chance. Yeah, and they were stringing passes together a whole bunch. I mean, those kids have been playing together for a while, and and, and it definitely you know, and they're and they're talented. I mean, I mean, it's hard for me to get excited about seventeen-year-old kids playing 
soccer. Well, Ch- Chile, over, Chile, Chile, I think overcommitted on a lot of their a lot of their plays. They were going after people's ankles and stuff. Well, they that, were that helped yeah, them. going after the the ref. Yeah, they were they were out of there. Well, I mean, you know, they were losing three to one. That, that helped really Mexico accurate. actually, though, because they were able to string together passes as yeah. long as they were accurate and they yeah. had good space and they they did good on the attack on the counter attack. No, but 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 Ronnie's right though. I mean, they uh, you know the fact that they didn't uh, retreat. Although I think that. You know, if they once they did uh, just reestablish possession, but I guess like about the, about the 80th minute or so, and then they just um, they they just cleaned up the last 10 minutes. I mean, they just, uh, I mean, and that last goal was terrific. Uh, I'm always a big fan of goals like that. So, uh, it, hey, you uh, know, it was, it was it was a good win, and uh, I'm not sure that they I guess they play either Russia or Ecuador. Whom I, I think some seen. of you guys, some of you guys, are gonna have to eat some crow along with uh, Hermosillo and Sami Sadovnik. Because uh, I think it was in the the Australia game where uh, Magaña and Lopez switched roles. And this time it happened again, but because Magaña went out injured. And really, Lopez was the one that he, he broke up in the game playing from the from the left wing. Okay, okay. Well, let's, what, is he uh, a Chivas guy or something? Uh, no, 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 no. He's a Pachuca player. Oh. No, yeah, Lopez. Lopez yeah, no, but the, the, the Australia game is a bit of... An anomaly. If you look at the four games they've played so far, the second half against Australia is probably the, the only team, and given the circumstances of that game, that has been able to figure out how to press Mexico efficiently and get behind the back line. Because Germany didn't really do that, and I think I think we should probably talk about the Germany game a little bit too, because I think that a lot of the things they did against Germany, they did them against Chile as well, and they did it even better. Um, Specifically about Lopez, as I said, I think last week or the week before, for my money, again, he's the best player on this team. Everything he does has a purpose, and that's not all. How much money do you have? That's uh. <laughs> well, let's not let's not get into that, man. I, I, that's the way. I, that's the way I live. Oh, I know, my refrigerator just crapped out today, and, and that, that was that was a whole thing. But but here's the thing. I think again, Lopez. Even even when he's not when when the coach doesn't switch him around, doesn't purposely move him to a different position, he's a player that's popping up everywhere. Defense. I think there was one play today against Chile where he he tracked all the way back to stop a counter attack, and he did also he also did that against Germany uh, in a play where he lost the ball. Um, he gave a bit of a short pass that was intercepted. He tracked all the way back. Did a slide tackle right as the uh, German player was about to get into the box and shoot. This team, this team is a very well-oiled machine. Everyone knows exactly what they have to do, which is actually very impressive when you consider the fact that they're 16-year-old kids, 17-year-old kids. I think that speaks highly of what the FMF is doing at the younger levels. You know what it is? Is the parents are teaching the kids to listen right, right from the beginning, right, Ronnie? With some cintarazos, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, they're doing it right because I think that uh, that sort of tactical discipline can be seen through pretty much every youth team up to the under-23s. And when it's executed well, you see what kind of like what we've been seeing with this under-17 team or what we saw with the under-23s. When it's not, when there are things that are missing, you get what we got with the under-20s at the World Cup, where they did very similar things. They were very patient in the way they built up the attacks. 
But the moment that something didn't co just didn't go quite right, the team sort of lost its shape, and and they left some very open gaps that 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 saw that team, particularly in their twenties, get eliminated. But back to Chile, real quick. This game, um, one when we were tied at one one, there were Mexico had two chances early in the second half that they really should have put away. They really should have put those away, and. Were those uh, off of Lopez's boot? I mean, uh, Lopez was the one created those chances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was or, one. Or Magaña was in. Yeah, what, the, was, the one where Aguirre, Aguirre, all he had to do was tap it in, but it, he came at a kind of weird angle and, and it went wide. I yeah. think that play, that play highlights what Lopez is able to do, at least as of right now at this level. I mean, the guy was popped up on the left wing and 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 just beautiful low cross that caught everybody by surprise. The play itself is beautiful because he, he touches the ball around the player that's rushing onto him to defend him and and just just simply sidesteps him and then puts in a very, very beautiful low cross that all Aguirre had to do was literally tap it in. But, but again, you know, not to knock the guy because he came back and scored another goal. This, I don't even know what else to say about this team. This has been a really good, positive tournament so far. And I feel like every game they've grown – and they've gotten a little bit better at doing certain things, which only means that, you know, God God willing, or, or maybe you're an atheist, I don't know, but, you know, whoever you root for up there in the sky, if this continues, I, I don't, I, I don't, I, this team could reach the final. I mean, hey, I, wait I, a minute, Chris. Are you yeah. saying that if you don't root for the Mexican U-17, you're an atheist? Well, no, I mean, like, you know, I was going to say God willing. I man. No, yeah, I mean, I got a little tripped up there, but, I'm, you know, people say, you know, <laughs> God willing. I, 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 me, personally, I, I don't... It sounds you know, like a loop, but, but, but no. just to say that, you know, I think this team has a very high ceiling as a team. And you know, Chris? Yeah, go ahead. I just think, uh, I think Artiaga was kind of shitting the bed, dude, because in the first half, uh, he kind of got lucky that uh, Magaña had to come out and he moved Lopez to the wing because... Lopez, uh, offensively, he was having a quiet game, in my opinion. And, well, I think, uh, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. But it, it depends on how you look at it, because I think that Chile, Chile, if you if you watch their game against the U.S., they're a team that commits a lot of players forward, and they just love just kind of just rushing and and getting into the into the final third, and and that was going to happen. So we we needed the center mids. Cervantes and Lopez to be a little more careful in that sense. And I think that's one of the reasons why Magaña plays and has played as a starter pretty much, I think, all four games. I think it might be one game where he didn't play as a starter, but I think he offers a lot on both sides of the ball. He, he's willing to track back and, and, and make those defensive plays, but <clears throat> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm very happy with what, what these guys have shown so far. I'll, you know, another, another thing to, to point out is that uh, Mexico, they – seem to know how to play against the home team. Mm -hmm. And there's an actually an interesting statistic that, uh, you know, in tournaments, you know, in youth tournaments where Mexico has played the, uh, the home team, they have five wins, two draws, and a loss. Where's the one loss? Anybody uh, know? Uh, Japan. 1993. 1993, Japan. Uh, under U-17. But I mean, it, it, it's just like it, it, like even even at the at the senior level. I mean, we we tend to go in Mexico tends to, to go in and, and and cause trouble for the home team. You know, 
two World Cups in a row, to South Africa and Brazil, we had to host. Uh, in Central America. In Chile, yeah, we, we went 3-3. Right. Three, three. In Ecuador. And yeah, in Ecuador in 1993, we actually beat them and we eliminated them in the what is it, the semifinals? That's right. On, with Ugo, didn't Ugo score both of them? Uh, I know he got one because I was at a I was at a really iffy part of town, Austin, <laughs> the sports bar. And this, you know, this this white boy walks into this bar and they're like, "What the hell?" I was like, "I'm here to watch the game." And they're like, all right, all right, he's all right, he's gonna be all right. Yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> no good. Uh... Um, all right, uh, what's next topic is... Uh, you know, I just wanted to add uh, about the U-17 today. I thought uh, Romero had a had a shaky game. I mean, by no means should we ship him out, but I just thought maybe... I don't know, what, what do you guys think? Was it nerves? nerves? Chris, you saw the game. Yeah, the, the, the goal, I think that... Um, you can make an argument that what, the, 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 the player from Chile sort of got in his way a little bit. But I don't think I don't think it's going to hold water. And then there's a couple there was a couple instances in the second half where he spilled some balls that he should have really kept. Yeah. But overall, overall, I think he's had a pretty good tournament. Oh, and absolutely. You could you could chalk it up to nerves. I, I think time will tell. I mean, I, we all know we all agree that it's it's way too soon to tell um, with these players. I mean, if, I think if we look back to the 2005 team. Um, Gio and Vela stood out immediately as players that had a, a, a pretty high, very high ceiling, even as maybe you know as professionals. I'm not sure that the 2011 team had any players like that. Maybe Espericueta, a little bit from from uh, Carlos Fierro. The the, the last the, the the team from 2013, I'm not entirely sure they had a player like that. But I think in this team, I think Pablo Lopez sort of embodies that 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 sort of next potentially next player level. Um, well, on the, on the first goal, I think on the first goal is just bad marking. They didn't even guard that guy, and then on one deflection, the, uh, the one of the defenders actually almost scored the own goal, but he shouldn't have yeah. let it bounce off him. That was that was sort of a mistake. But I think that yeah. um, the Chile the Chile goal they left uh, like there was like three four guys in the box and they were all open. Yeah, the, the Mexican compressed inside, and then the Chile guys were outside where they were wide open, and they just headed it in. By the way, I thought that in, in, in youth play, they weren't allowed to give the refs any kind of lip. I thought that that's an automatic yellow card, like straight up. And no he's a hometown. hometown oh, were they, getting, were they getting the hometown discount? Was only that, only if the ref is Greg Geiger. Because it, it was really, no, it was really a chippy like game. It was a... You know, for, the, for youth, the, for youth uh, World Cups, like that, they keep the the discipline really tight on purpose. But uh, I mean, those Chile guys were just letting them, letting the ref have it. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. Those are, they were punks, in my opinion. They they were a bunch of punks. They were kicking. They were bunch of, especially bunch that dude. Of emo looking. They were they were just uh, they were going they, after they, legs. Yeah, they took gamesmanship to another level a little bit in that game. And uh, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I do feel like the ref was a little bit a little bit one-sided in, in some calls. I, I do feel like he gave them the benefit of the doubt, which I think is fine. I mean, hey, I will say this. Cheers to Mexico for, for not putting up with it and playing above it and, and responding to them the way you should when a team tries to do that to you by ignoring it and scoring goals. Well, that's sort of unexpected for Mexico. It. 
that sometimes a lot of uh, Mexican teams are hotheads. Yeah, they yeah they fall they fall for that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It was an English referee too. That's that's surprising about an English referee to take uh to take so much lip because they're basically no nonsense types. Yeah, absolutely. All right, boys, what's next? Uh, you guys want to do some predictions before we we uh, move on? Uh, you want to talk to Chicharito, or do you want to say that towards yeah, the end? I can, I, I can get a quick, quick comment on Chicharito if you want. Uh, yeah. He was playing like a third division team today, and those goals, I mean, everyone was going crazy about him, but they didn't look really uh, impressive to me. <laughs> those defenders were slipping and sliding all over the place. It looked like uh, you know the U17 playing against Chicharito or something. Hey man, as long don't, as he scores goals, I don't really care. Don't knock him, man. Those, you know, this is—it's the German, uh, the German uh, uh, cup. You know, I know they're like they're the lower divisions, but sometimes you just need a, a slump buster. And although he technically is not in a slump, you mean, you know, I don't care if you're playing against a second division team, you're, I mean, or a third division team. So you you're know, thinking you to Whataburger? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta, I mean, you had to score. Well, he, I mean, right, Chicharito's you know, very streaky, and I mean, and if he keeps scoring goals, and you know, I'm, you know, keep scoring goals, that, that's fine with me. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad for that's him. That's what he's there to do. But he, I don't think he even celebrated that much, you know, like he normally does. So he sort of felt it. I think yeah. there are benefits to this. I think not just for 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 Chicharito, but for the team. They they're they're starting to gel a little bit more, and I think that he's only going to benefit. And I think, if anything. He's going to come into this next uh, set of games with a national team with a with a bit more confidence. And who who's who knows? He might he might just bag a couple of goals and, and reach uh, you know at least tie the record. I think that would be good. I think that would be really good for him. You know, I was watching his uh, the game he had last week against Roma when they when he almost got his hat trick when he missed that fifth goal. Man, he his. Field play, it seems like has improved so much from from where he was in Manchester. I don't know if that happened in Madrid or whatever it is. Yeah, but he made yeah, a, a really good pass to, to I guess to I forget what the guy's name is. I don't, I don't know the names yet on that team. You know, I, even though I've been a Leverkusen fan all my life, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know the names. <laughs> but uh, but his, his his what he's done in the field, I think, has improved dramatically. And, and you know, and, you know, people always get upset that he misses stuff. Well, you know what? Forwards miss. It happens. If forwards scored as many goals as people think they do, the games would be ten to nine instead of two to one. So yeah. the misses don't bother. As long as it doesn't bother him, it ain't gonna bother me. Obviously, it doesn't bother him because he the, right after. I think part of the the, the ragging on Chicharito comes from like his uh, his goal where he scored off his face. I so think what? It's, he, it counts. I think all the clowning started after that kind of stuff, but yeah. but it's all good. He's, counts, he's yeah. doing good. Well, remember actually, Mexico had a center forward. That basically used to play like Chicharito, where he would score ugly goals. Uh, Borja, Enrique Borja. And I don't know if you, if you watch his, you know, his goals uh, on YouTube. Yeah, really. Those are all subjective, though, man. Because you yeah, know, it could be ugly against, for you, uh, but it might be beautiful for me. You know, you ever heard that like, story, the story about like, the, the woman that had a baby Sorillo? And you know, so all oh, this come on, man. We gotta talk soccer. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? Like to me, those tapins. Might be tap-ins, but even you know they're important goals that you know get you know I mean a lot to some, might be crap to others. You but know? you're right though. That goal that yeah, I've seen that goal he scored against France in the 66 World Cup, Borja. 
And it looks yeah. like he scored by accident. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. He's like, oh my god, I just scored. Yeah. And uh, one of the that, that goal that you're talking about, uh, I think the, the, the famous Mexican announcer, what is it, uh, Enrique uh, Fernando Marcos? Enrique Fernandez. Yeah, no, Fernando Marcos. Uh -huh. No la falles, Borja, no la falles. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I was even born yet, man. He ended up, he was a Pumas guy, but he ended up like being a superstar for America, right? And wasn't that what happened to him? Well, he, he's a, he was one of the, like, they say one of like the romantics of Mexican football, where he, when he, when the, used, when he did everything, he was everything. He was a player, he was a coach, he was a referee, he was a an executive. I mean, he did everything. So he he was one of the icons of Mexican football. He even had, didn't he have a didn't he have a wasn't he like the head of the FMF at one point? He wasn't the head of it, but he did have an important role. In fact, one of the anecdotes with uh, with Fernando Marcos. Was that he was actually the referee between the game, the game between uh, uh, was it Necaxa and Asturias? The well, the game that that uh, where they ended up burning the stadium down, and there was like you know they, they injured Horacio Casarín, like at the, who was the you know the Mexican star. Right. Well, he was he was the referee that you know game got out of hand and uh, you know next thing you know they burned down uh, the wooden stadium down. <laughs> anyway, it's changing subjects now. Um, yes, let's talk right. about skunks. Now uh, we got uh, Copa Mex uh, we got Copa Mekis. We also have MLS. Uh, I was actually watching. I was catching a little bit of the uh, MLS. This Galaxy uh, game is is awesome. I'm hearing. Awesome. Yeah, that's what the, that's what I'm hearing too. I'm Twitter, you know. Here, I'm watching uh, it. It's pretty lively. Yeah. How, how do you see? Geo. How do you see? How do you see Gio? Gio's been very active. Very active. He he had a big hand in the first goal. Uh, beautiful, like three-toed, like you know, outside of the foot pass that uh, Sebastian Legit just kind of tucked it in. It was very nice. He's been moving around a lot. It's been a very lively game. Um, this is the this is what MLS could be. Very open, very open, pretty decent, uh, you know, attacking play. I mean, it's been a fun game to watch so far. I'll say that. Well, you know, all you got to do is put some Benny Hill music in the background, and, you know, eventually it's going to turn out like that. It's going to be a Benny Hill, da, 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 whatever. You know, so, yeah, yeah, it can be good, but, nah. No, it's funny you, it's funny you say that because, I mean, uh, you guys catch the the article with uh, Desio de Maria talking about, uh, you know, sure. about the, you know, building the rivalry with the MLS. I don't and know. Another Superliga. Another Superliga. Are you serious? No, I did not catch that. You need to enlighten us. You got. I think it's most likely. Uh, um, oh, Joel. Continue. Please, I've been waiting for this. Joel. Ah, uh, he got busy. Oh, he got busy. Oh, anyways, no. This uh, is Maria. Basically, they interviewed him, and they were talking about the the potential, uh, you know, partnerships, and you know, down the pipeline with MLS. Um, you know that they're, you know, they're. Considering they're considering another uh, another right. tournament, you know, an official you know tournament between the you know uh, MLS and and uh, and Liga Mekis. Wow, uh, a little tournament, huh? Well, you know, I, honestly, I I don't knock it. I, I don't knock it because you know there, there, if if you notice if you notice a pattern, you have Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina. All World Cup champions, and obviously, you know, the vast majority of European club trophies, 
you know, belong to those, you know, those nations, those leagues. Same thing, same thing, you know, over there in Europe where you have, you know, the Germany, you have the Italy, you have, you know, Spain, where, you know, European champions, you know, they tend to take most of the, uh, you know, the, 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 the European competitions. Mexico, one of the reasons, and I've always believed that one of the reasons Mexico was kind of like, you know, was always just at the brink, you know, was because of the competition. We were too far away. Back then, we were too far away from the Uruguay's. We were too far away from, you know, the, the, the uh, Brazil's. Unfortunately, at the time, you know, U U.S. didn't really invest a lot in soccer. Our, our futures are, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, Intertwined. Exactly. And that competition, you know, we have to breed. Competition basically breeds more competition. So, I mean, there's going to come a point, maybe maybe five years, maybe ten years, but there's going to come a point where MLS, they're going to they're going to start, you know, winning, and they're going to start, you know, you know, taking some some of those uh, those cups. And the last thing, I mean, in a way, I don't want it to happen at least at our expense, but it's going to happen. Yeah, but at what point? At what at what point in time is it going to happen? Because I think just money wise, they're not able to compete. Like, yeah, they're able to like, uh, you know, I guess the U.S. has a better has a better standard of living, and so they're able to throw money. You know, are retiring names or guys that want to retire early, but I think on that, that, average, they're not. They're gonna get players like Funes Mori right now, Rogelio. That's you know destroying the Mexican league right now. They don't have those caliber. They're gonna, you know, the, the I, I think I think sooner rather than later, the MLS is gonna. I I, I think they're gonna do away with the you know the the DP the designated uh, player because I mean. They yeah they they may sell jerseys and stuff like that but you're not gonna win a championship team with just a Pirlo or with just a Kaká uh, you know that's not gonna happen it's not it's not a you're not built it's not an NBA you're not building a franchise with one player you know, you know that it, it, it's a it's a collective and you know they're gonna you know they're gonna have to start investing more in in the infrastructure they're gonna have to start looking at the inner you know at the inner cities they're gonna have to Who's laughing? That's not the American way. I'm what? sorry. What's that? No. No, with the designated, you know, that designated. I thought you guys had him in double play. I thought it was a baseball term. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was watching the World Series. <laughs> so, well, you know, with the designated player deal, you know, to me, it's the biggest, most, you know, ingenious marketing move they have. But it's also leading to their downfall. They're but that's all it money. is is a marketing move. I mean, it has, yes, it has nothing it to do with with uh, what's going on in the field. It's See, not but it's not just that though. I mean, I mean, the the, the, the teams do have to develop talent, but and the I, talent pool is so small. In the actually, sense that, in the sense that, you know, kids, eighteen, nineteen years old, they'll go play in college, for whatever reason. Don't ask me why. Instead of turning professional, hey, you know, that's go, to, go turn professional. That's culture there, though. That's, That's a, a good point by John. That their league, they could bring in these uh, these aging stars from you know, from Europe. Like you know, they'll bring the the, the Pirlos and so on. But that's not gonna make their national team better per se because they're young players. They're they're still going to play college. They're still you know yeah. being diverted elsewhere. If they were smart to say, listen, go to college. You know, we'll still we'll pay for that, but come play on our team. You know what it is? It's that they're following that NFL view. 
where well, they play first in the but, but that's not going to but that but the NFL the, the NFL's minor league system is the NCAA. You can I mean they, you can't uh, honestly say that about about MLM. MLS needs to find you know this they, you know soccer is an elitist sport in this country. I mean there's no there's no sugarcoating it. You have to have money to play soccer. To yeah, play hey guys. And, and you know what and they, that, they do offer that. I'm sorry, they do offer the complete they like uh, LA Galaxy, I know, you know, I know some, my, my kids play youth, so I know some parents that have their kids in the different teams, and one of them, his son is on the LA Galaxy Reserves, or LA Galaxy 2, and he says they offered him a deal where he, he's going to play on the reserve team, but they're going to play, they're going to pay for his college education. I don't know, I mean, they're probably not going to pay for, you know, USC, but I'm guessing, you know, they at least pay, you know, his, his, his tuition in one of the local, you know, one of the local colleges. As long as he plays for them, so I guess it's not a. I guess you're gonna see that, but so he probably won't play college ball, but he will probably be playing on the reserve team. But I mean, they're still. They're not gonna sign him because you know if they got twenty, you know, twenty-five kids for that that roster for the first team, and they keep bringing in the the Robbie Keens and you know whoever else the Giovannis and I guess the Velas uh, uh, is the rumor mill, right? That's a yeah. real point. Oh, that's yeah. Well, you know, one, one, of, one of the things... He's going to go play. He's going to go down to Alianza and play down in El Salvador. Yeah, one of the things, <laughs> one, you know, one, one of the things that's going to benefit, you know, MLS in the long run, you know, if you know, for some reason, for some reason, in, in, in this kind of stemmed out of the whole FIFA Gates, uh, you know, scandal, where, you know, the soccer press, they, they kind of like, now they feel that they have to criticize everything just for the sake of criticizing, and the way they start the way they're starting to criticize now Klinsman. When they start getting to that to the point where they start criticizing MLS, at first, you know MLS is they're gonna they're gonna you know, I don't think they'll be able. Ah, to... oh, bueno. Anyway, play so the right soundtrack. I want to bring about Ronnie. What, what Ronnie was saying. Um, the original premise, and I want to pick John's brain on this because I feel like we are going to see a bit of a shift uh, starting next summer because I think that the expectations are that if this Copa America Centenario is a financial success, not a sporting success, if it's a financial success, we are going to see a lot more cooperation between MLS and Liga MX to, to sort of create these offbeat short tournaments between the two leagues. And subsequently, we'll see the South American uh, clubs also get involved in this. And, and, and that could potentially lead or at least give a bit of a jump start to, to, the, to American soccer in that sense because I do feel like the model is very insular and, and the college system does not help the development of the players because, yes, you have anomalies like Clint Dempsey that did play in college for four years and then went to MLS – and subsequently to Europe. Yeah, I think of how good he would have been if he would have gone not, professional. I mean, that's not. That's not really. Um, that, that's not really the pattern. The college season is way too short for soccer. Yeah, it's well, like I two think, months. Well, I think that uh, U.S. Soccer is working on, on their lobbying yeah. with the NCAA right now to on the semester basis push them to to, to create a, a longer season that's going to span from. From the fall to the to the spring to create yeah, sort but, of an but, environment but they, for the but they players. can't do that because unless no, unless they're going to subsidize like, it because it's exactly not it's not a like, revenue sport. It, it, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So that, that that's going to have to come from somewhere else. And if 
if MLS, MLS is only going to be able to help their development if they can increase the money they get from TV revenue. I think they're very far away from that. Very, very far away because even as it stands, I think an average League MX game is probably, like a mid-season game probably has equal or better ratings than, than a playoff oh, game. Oh, I from, guarantee from you it has better ratings. And it has and, better. And so, league IMX is the fourth most popular league in this country, and there's no there's no it, denying it. And in some cases, it's probably the third most popular. Yeah, yeah. There, there's no denying that. Uh, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that, because I know that they're, that they're thinking very seriously of, of, of creating <laughs> uh, soccer, uh, like a La Liga de Campeones for both North and South America, like a knockout tournament. Uh, yeah. I, you know, if, if they want to have the symbiotic relationship between Liga MX and MLS, what I would love to see is I, I like Copa Mekis. I think it's great, but there's no reason to have two of them. Have a Copa Mekis in the uh, in the Apertura, but in the, in, the, in the Clausura, why don't we expand that to include the Liga MX, the Ascenso, the MLS, and USL, and have a straight up 64-team, you know, one-off, you know. Pure draw wherever wherever your 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 chip falls is where it falls. You know they 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 can do home and away, but you know, however, you know, just a, it's a one game and just play it. I think it would be yeah. fantastic. I don't think they'll they'll give up the MLS will give up their grip on U.S. soccer because then they'd have to, uh, you know, they're trying to keep NS, NASL from. No, this is not NASL. This is USL, not NASL. USL. USL is practically the second division. NASL yeah, is going to go yeah, away very quickly. It's sort of admitted that they're good. I mean, I think most MLS teams now have their second teams playing in the USL. Right. NASL is fighting a losing battle, really. You know, yeah. they're, they're just – they're not relevant anymore, and, and, and I don't really know what they're doing. You know, they, they, want, they want to keep fighting this, and it's, it's, they're just not going to get anywhere. But, I mean, that's a very interesting idea. The problem is – you know, it's going to be about financing again. I mean, uh, is Televisa or Teva Azteca going to be well, willing to pay money is, for is it, I mean, like get, if they get Univision or well, you know, ESPN would be, you know, can say, hey, man, we'll put it on, on ESPN here, ESPN Deportes, we'll put it on ESPN in Mexico, we'll put it on ESPN. ESPN blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, if, you know, Fox has properties in both English and Spanish. I mean, they can sell it, believe me. That's not a problem. <laughs> Aren't uh, they, right now, they're, they're, they're looking at the numbers to make that, uh, what is it called, that, uh, Continental Copa Champions yeah, yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 the Copa de Campeones. Yeah, they're, 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 they're think, seriously. Like I said, I think that's going to depend on. I mean, I mean, I think this Copa America not, coming up is going to be a success. No, no, there's no question. The club one. Yeah. Not, not the Copa America, the national teams. They're, they're, they're talking about doing a, like a, a continental champions, yeah, champions yeah. for North and South America. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Is like this, yeah. this, it's almost this inevitable. This is the litmus test. This yeah. is gonna, exactly. This is going to be. I mean, we can we can talk about what kind of teams the South American teams will bring because the problem is this is going to coincide with the qualifiers for them, and and then you know it's going to be problematic for them, especially the European clubs are going to be very kind of iffy about releasing players, even though they don't have a choice. This is already on the FIFA calendar, but if this is a financial success, like I said, not a sporting one, I think we can we can we can safely assume that there will be a club equivalent of this. That's not going to be linked to the Libertadores or the Sudamericana, and definitely not to the to the Conca Champions, which will be interesting, because how will how will that benefit MLS versus how will that benefit Mexican clubs? Mexican clubs do need more opportunities to play younger players. Even Copa MX 
has been a bit of a laughing stock, and I don't understand why people are so against it, but they are. They've been very sort of, uh, kind of very snarky about it. So this adding another tournament that's not within the already established parameters for the tournaments that are already in place, how is that going to be viewed by the Mexican public? Well, it's going to depend mean, on I'd... how much the prize money is. You, you know, but I think the it's going to be a financial success. There's no question, guys. I mean, I mean, yeah, when right. when you brought the Interliga, the teams that play Interliga, I mean, that thing was that was heated. That was making money for them, right? I remember watching a few games, uh, Interliga games here uh, in the Home Depot Center, or back back when it was called Home Depot Center. Now it's what StubHub Center. Yeah, did you yeah, go to the Pachuca game? No, I, I went to I went to Tigres, America, uh, or no, I think it was yeah, Tecos. And America, back when when Chucho Ramirez was managing America, that, that short thing he had. Ah, okay. So to close all this MLS talk, yeah, uh, please. I was watching the I was watching this uh, the game earlier, DC United and the New England Revolution, and it was boring. I, I changed it to the Copa MX. But one thing that was funny was that guy Geiger was uh, refing, and uh, Jermaine Jones just got all upset, all in his face, got a red card, and then grabbed him, pulled him. Is a you can see it on Vine and everything. And uh, just going all aggressive on that deal, I thought it was pretty funny. It's just going crazy. But oh, they got hey, eliminated. Hey, remember, do you guys remember all the controversy surrounding Geiger during the, World, during the, the Gold Cup? There were reports, <laughs> supposedly, that he, would, he had been suspended for six months. Those were never corroborated. Obviously, he's not suspended. He's, he refed the other day against uh, the, the Kansas City game versus uh, the Galaxy on Sunday. And I guess he refed again today. So he... he uh, there was a lot of talk about that, and obviously it wasn't true. Whatever. I don't think there's a reason to suspend him. I mean, if if it's a questionable call, you know the like for example the handball he called on uh, I forgot the player's name now, but the Roman Panama Robert. game. Yeah, I mean, Roman, yeah. Dude, that was if, a freaking handball. If, what what it, was the controversy with that? It was a handball. Exactly. Oh. But, you know, there's some angles where it doesn't look like it's a clear handball. Well, so. who the hell cares? There's a couple well, angles the, of show the show. It's, it's a massive The problem hand. was the, the Univision narrators, most notably uh, the, 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 the Weasel. Guy, Edgar. They, yeah, that guy was trash. They made a meal of it without before seeing the replay, and then when the replay started showing different angles, you could see a little bit of doubt in some of the guys that were on a, on a, on a panel narrating the game, but he stuck to his guns. And I think that's one of the dangerous things about, about uh, you know, when, when these guys have the microphone in front of them because it's very sensationalist, and they just, they just they're passing judgment immediately. And, it's, and, it, and it's, well, this is what it leads to is, is people saying, oh, no, it wasn't a penalty. I watched it a few times, and I was like, to me, that's a penalty. I don't really know what the big deal was. He moved his it hand was, to the ball so that the guy behind him, like, I goes, SD. Yeah, he wouldn't, wouldn't get the ball and score. Yeah, it was right. obvious. Hey, I got, I got a technical question. Are we on the air? Because uh, I don't know if anybody's, like, on YouTube. Yeah, I'm showing live, and I'm showing three viewers. We have yeah, three. So, All right. so, yeah. Just a, just a comment to anybody that watches games on Univision. You know, if you got Sammy Sadovnik, uh, or Andres Cantor, they, you know, I get a biased vibe against Mexico, or especially Univision. Just turn the sound off. Play your yeah. favorite song or whatever. Put some techno music or something. It's going to be yeah. better than that's right. Watch what it's Well, there's no mistake. That, that guy, Mark Geiger, is a bad 
ref. The way he didn't, you know, you know, in the World Cup in 2014 when that Nigerian guy got his leg broken and he didn't, and, you know, he didn't give a red card to the opposing player. You know, that was obvious. He's a bad ref, but you know what? On that call, he got it right. That was an absolute handball. But they just pick it back on him and like he I think, said, I think but see, yeah, that was the best. That was the best part target. of the he's whole more of a goal doofus. Yeah, well, I think I he's just a ref, doofus. That was the best part of the whole goal. Pretend it is anyway, because we have the view, We have the benefit of, of 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 instant replay as as viewers. They don't. I think I think that's this technology thing has been a complete detriment to the refs. I've ref games, and the thing is, like, you know, you're going to miss stuff, and, and, and it's going to happen. That's the beauty of this game is that it allows for human error on all parts, the referees and the players. So it's easy for a guy sitting in a booth with a microphone with the TVs in front of him calling a game to say, oh, he made a mistake, and then you immediately start turning the crowd against him or, or against the player because he, he slipped or the goalkeeper or whatever. It, 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 it detracts from the game. To be honest, in my opinion, he's an easy target too. He looks sort of goofy and everything. Yeah, I will say this: <laughs> that was the best part of the whole. The other twelve was picking on him also. And well, well one, one of the things, one of the, thi- one of the things about the you know about turning on the ref is that one of the, the smartphone has allowed for the spectator to actually view replay, you know, it, it, on the field. And you know that's to me that's a little bit dangerous because I mean I, I remember, you know I remember in Johannesburg when uh, when I mean although they did have Twitter and stuff like that but it, it was it isn't what it is now with all the vines and all that type of stuff but I, I mean I remember you know when um, they showed the replay of uh, Devis's you know the, the goal that he scored where he was clearly you know offside. They and they showed the replay at and the then stadium. at the stadium at the stadium and there was two games consecutive games that I went to where there was controversial and they showed and they showed the con- and they showed the controversy up uh, up uh, on the stadium and the players were going mad. I mean there was when you know there were there were fights after the the match when when Mexico got eliminated when Mexico got eliminated in two thousand six. I remember I was at, I was you know standing pitch side and everything, no fights. The 2000, the 2010, I mean, just there was just a, that that frustration that the, that the fans had that they got robbed. I don't think any. Yeah, they attacked the uh, Guille Franco's family, right? In the yeah, in the family, yeah. Yeah, oh, family. it was Osorio's family. It was disgraceful, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 went after. Uh, oh, yeah, and, and and that to me that that can be a little dangerous because I mean with the you know you throw the alcohol in there and stuff like that and you're gonna have people you know you're gonna have fans that are just gonna feel frustrated because I mean they have you know because they saw they saw the you know the injustices you know the, the the human error and stuff like that but they don't see it that way because you know they they're looking at replay you know something that the ref doesn't have. I'll admit it that was, was my favorite part of the Gold Cup was when it was Geiger that had those calls and you know for Mex- to Mexico's favor. And the Gringos could not say anything because it was an American ref. <laughs> He's their best. Weren't they yeah. telling him as their best yeah. ref before and that? They, yeah, exactly. And they were just. It's a perfect uh, example they, of MLS. You know, they were telling you know how bad Concacaf refereeing is, and it's like guys. Now they're right. The refereeing on. is just as bad. So. You know, it's, <laughs> well, they know that. They know their refing is bad. That's so ironic. You know, the trash ref it represents the trash league. Come on. But you did have a pretty decent World Cup, though. Guy Green was all right. So let's, let's move topics to the hey, to the best to play, Copa MX. Just one comment: To play devil's advocate, did he did he ever pull out two yellow cards at the same time? 
Hey man. Oh, <laughs> that was that was Chiqui Dracula. That was that was, that was that was in case he uh, he dropped one, you know, because because he pulls it out so much that it might fall out. He might lose it. But he's yes. authoritative. Though. He has he's an extra fun. one just in case. But hey, <laughs> in, in 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 Mark Geiger's defense, in Mark Geiger's defense. Uh, you know, you guys remember Codesal, right? You know, uh, the the Mex well, the Uruguayan, you know, uh, Mexican referee uh, Codesal. Mm -hmm. He's the he was he's the 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 referee that uh, that um, officiated the he 1980 World Cup, right? The 19 exactly. He's the one that the officiated final. the final. Um, well, he's also the referee that coached the semifinal between Chivas and America. Uh, where it just turned into an all full out brawl, you know, the semifinals. Oh and yeah, the Club America players sucker punching the Chivas players. I remember. Okay, no, well, there's a couple. There's a couple of them. There's one in '86. Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember that. Like, there's one in '86, and then there's another one. Like the the biggest one was the one in '82, '83, <laughs> and this was the year that America was on paper, the best team of all time, like in the entire league. I mean, they, they blew everybody away. And and basically, uh, the Chivas coach, uh, Alberto Guerra, you know, basically in the halftime, he's – and this and this came out years later, basically saying, you know, hey, you guys are dead. I mean, at least show me you have some life. Well, you know, Chivas players basically started, you know, hacking. And obviously, you know, America's players responded, you know, bad. But Codesal – Said you know he said this years years later he says that you know that one bad game, that one bad game is is more you know he learned more in that one bad game than in a hundred good ones. So I mean Geiger he's he's gonna he'll he'll learn from it because as John said dude, he he did have a you know he, he's a pretty good ref he just had a bad one apparently, or two games. Apparently messed up today though I don't I don't I didn't watch it so I don't know but. Uh... Yeah. Hey man, you know yeah. I, I have nothing but respect for those guys because they get it right ninety nine point five percent of the time. Yep, so. and they only get questioned when they get it wrong right. once. Yeah, that's exactly like it is in my job. So I know yeah. I feel. And keep keep in mind, keep in mind, most officiating, they're not professionals, and they're at a disadvantage because they're going up against the professionals that train every single day, have access to the best, you know, trainers, the nutritionists, and stuff like that. These guys have day jobs. You know, I mean, they're supposed yeah. to main, they're supposed to maintain you know a certain level of fitness, but you know, you're you know a guy that basically goes to the gym and gets on a treadmill. I mean, they they do some like like John and these guys are saying, man, they they get it right most of the time. And you don't you don't need a ref when Omar Bravo scores a golazo like they did against Toluca. <laughs> oh yeah. They... Switching topics to Copa. So, yeah, who 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 needs this? Cup uh, out of the teams that are still uh, remain. Who needs this cup the most right now? Chivas, Chivas absolutely Chivas. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hey. Now you're trying to minimize the value of the cup. That's what it sounds like. Only because Chivas is competing. This, this is the well, cup. It, it holds. That holds true for Cruz Azul. You know, when they won the cup, you know, <laughs> they tried to make it a big deal, but then, and then they lost to America in the finals in the league. You know. Where Moy comes in with a header and everything like that, and it's like that cup didn't mean anything. Did Chivas win? What's yeah, that? Chivas, Chivas went through one zero. Yeah, they beat they beat Toluca in front of about fourteen so, people. So Ronnie, are you trying to say that you don't have faith in America winning this championship since you seem like Chivas needs it more, especially no. since they got destroyed no. by the Copa? The Copa. 
not the Liga. We're talking oh. cup. Oh, sorry, sorry. You know, I don't understand the criticism on this cup because, I mean, everybody, fans, press, even coaches, they, they, they say, hey, the young players, they need experience. They need to get bled in. I'm not this is a perfect it. tournament for it. I, 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 hey, I'm not knocking it. In fact, I love this cup. I mean, the it, for one, for starters, for starters, the winner of the of the super, you know, the Super Copa Mekis gets what the third spot in the in the confederation in the not confederation in the Okay, I my criticism is not the cup. My criticism is the format. You know. Uh, because I, I don't see the why we should be playing group stage. I don't see why they should be playing group stages. Well, I you mean, know why. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I know, I do, I know, I know. You know, but I just, I don't like that. I think they could do it. I think they could actually do it and do it a, a better job. But I love the fact because you know, it gives the younger, it gives well, it gives the younger players, you know, uh, you know, time to play more, 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 more minutes, and it also gives non. Football markets, you know, a chance to play against, you know, the bigger football markets. Right. So I mean, that's why I, I mean, I love the fact that we we have this cup. I just, I just don't think that, uh, you know, a team like Chivas or a team like Usosu, they're going to erase all their sins winning this. You know. I'll give them a boost of confidence. And, uh, yeah. I'll give them a boost of confidence, maybe. So, so are you saying Copa Mekis is, is a Gordi Wapa? <laughs> <laughs> you a slump buster, if yeah, you will? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> oh, uh, looks like Gordiso from Leon just got just messed up his knee pretty bad. For, uh, Leon's playing Atlas right now. Yeah. They're tied. I, mean, I like Leon. That's a, they're a fun team to watch. They are. Uh, they have a good good style. You know, and it's funny. I was thinking about. Uh, Someone was talking about, you know, why is Dorados having such a hard time adapting to playing in, in the first division? And the said it was because they, they had to totally overhaul their team, which I don't know why they had to. But, but I mean, Leon, Leon didn't do that at all. And they came in guns blazing and they played, ended up playing pretty well. They, what, they made the final, the semifinal. And then they won the league a couple years later. So I, I'm just curious as to why Dorados felt like they had to completely replace their roster to compete when you're gonna, you know, throw a bunch of guys that never played together before instead of your team that just won, the just won promotion. It didn't make any sense to me why they would do that. Yeah, that's a the terrible mistake. I remember Leon still had Sebastian Mas, which was their their leading attacker in in uh, Segunda División. Then they got promoted. Mm-hmm. He was still there, you know. He was still obviously they got refuerzos there, but well, geez, I mean they had Luis Montes and Hul. I mean they had a, you know, half their, t- you know, their most of their team. Gulli Peña was in Segunda División, the same thing. Man, he had a great quote last year. He's like, last year I was, I was in second division, thinking about becoming a boxer, and this year I'm in the World Cup. <laughs> well, Rogelio Funes, Funes Mori scored, you know, as ten goals now, and you know he's definitely most likely going to be contender. Hey, I'm just curious, do you have a contract with his promoter that you have to get his name in? Like, <laughs> podcast. I hate that name. After uh, as a as a semi Tigres fan, I hate that name. What? Bye. <laughs> isn't, isn't it his brother that's on the that was on the team? That yeah, yeah. yeah, his brother was uh, the center, one of the center backs for uh, for uh, River, no? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I just want to say that I think Chivas had a very good game tonight, and if anything, I think it's it's a confirmation of what they've been doing under Almeida 
just they're very. I mean, we, uh, John just mentioned that Leon is a very fun team to watch. I think Chivas, the last eight or nine, ten games, has sort of developed that same ability to be a very fun team to watch. And I'm not a Chivas fan to the chagrin of many people, apparently, but I think that they've, they've just done really, really well. And, and I like the fact uh, that they, they've realized that they need to go forward and dale, dale, Juan. No, they're a fun team to watch, all right. You get a lot of uh, LOLs from them, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, hoping that they, uh, I'm hoping that next season they're fighting the relegation. You know, I think the, they I will think, be. They will I, be. I, I think Liga Mekis needs you know that. You know, Man, it, you, it, you, it, you it, and Juan are going back and forth with these subtle jabs. <laughs> I, I will. I would prefer though for relegation. You know what? It sounds like Chris and Ronnie. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like, Chris is sounding like a, a closet Chivas there. Chivas. No, 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 por Dios, hombre. No, no, no. All right, what were you saying, John? No, I'm just saying. I just I wish they wouldn't use this coefficient though. You know, just just have to just have it based on one season. Just you know, enough. The coefficient, although although most critics say that it helps the big teams, in reality, it doesn't help the big teams. It actually helps the the the, the mid teams. Right. Yeah. Because 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 it allows them, it allows them to basically build up. You know, you know their capital. Build, it allows them to. You know, it, it's a little bit more forgiving. You know, you're you're not going to expect. You know. Achieve us, or well, actually, yeah, you will expect them, but you're not going to expect, you know, the big teams to be fighting the relegation in theory. Hey, but, dude, uh, America uh, got pretty close to fighting relegation with their coaching carousels before uh, Yoho. Come on, it's dude. true. They were down like in 15 or 16, but they don't, it didn't take them very long to get out of it, though. Pumas was no. down at the They were kicking butt in Copa America at the same time, too. They yeah, used that, uh, that Copa MX as a slum buster, didn't they? Who? <laughs> America? Yeah, America's only played the Copa Mekis one one time because I mean you know they've won so much lately that you know that they've been playing international <laughs> tournaments. America, that they don't, it doesn't you know, fit in the trophy case. No, it just it doesn't fit. They don't need they don't need Copa Mekis. Go, that's that's for the, the you know the peons, the the surfs. See, country sounds like America commercial right now. Clubs that win stuff don't have trophy cases. We have trophy rooms. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, pretty thick. <laughs> hey, let's 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 uh easy, easy, take it easy on Monterrey guys. Come on. No. So so for the for the fifth the week fifteen of the Liga in Mekis, uh, you guys know who's playing? America Toluca on Sunday. That should be a yes. good one. Chivas Pachuca. All that matters is Monterrey is right now in La Liguilla, while America uh, Chivas is not. You know, so. Hey, Perry, what you need to do, Holmes, is you need to you need to hook it up so we can go down to that new stadium and watch a game down there. There you go. You need to get us the hookup, man. The toilet bowl stadium. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a bidet, not a toilet bowl. Pumas on Friday against Cholos. Man, Pumas always sucks up there. That, that's you can just go and chalk that one up as a loss. They just they hate playing on that. <laughs> yeah, plastic. they need a loss though. They they need a loss. They don't need to get that that super leader. That's right. Yeah. We need to, we need to let, let let the Luca have that. No, actually, they do need to be super leader so they get the curse. No, let me have that to the Luca. They seem to be coming on. They can have it. <laughs> well, it's an hour. well, that's gonna be a good game. I think that and the uh, Leon Atlas game are gonna be pretty good. Tigres Santos is gonna be good. Some good matchups this weekend coming up. No, no one said anything about Cruz Azul, Veracruz. 
Oh, <laughs> no. Who? No one's gonna go see. I mean, Veracruz is in, in a pretty decent run of form right now, but just man, I can't imagine being a Cruz Azul fan. I, I gotta tell you, I just can't imagine it. So, what what stadium is more humid? Is is Veracruz more humid, or is the one in Chiapas more humid? That's a good good question. I. Uh, you know, guys, you you guys knock. I know we all knock uh, Cruz Azul, and they've been the butt of the butt of uh, soup campeon jokes for forever. But honestly, I think they screwed up. Uh, well, who was it with? Uh, they kept reaching the. They were consistently good for a long time, and I think it was a mistake. Uh, they got rid of Marcarian, which I think was a was a terrible mistake. I think he's been the, he's been their best coach in the last few years. Had him playing very well. And uh, just the way that the team is run is just—it's—it it's, should be an example to all the other teams in Liga MX how not to run your team because it's just a very poorly run team. I like—I like that guy, Marcaria. He ended up coaching Peru for a bit too, and they yeah, played really well under him. I mean, I even thought he had a chance to be the national team coach. So did at I. This point. Yeah. I thought he was a very good coach. Well, he was—he was very well spoken. Um, but you know, Cruz Azul—they've had some good coaches. And you know, you know, forget the butt of the jokes. They were a team that were constantly getting into into the you know into a position to to win the championship, and they would fall short. I think I think the Cruz Azul front office has been short sighted, that they want you know that they think that they can just have you know uh, they can wave a magic wand and they're going to fix a problem, and now they're getting to the point where they're not getting into the position to win those you know important matches. They're basically making you know fools of themselves. Yeah, and their front office is the epitome of what's wrong with the short tournaments. To be honest, very quick decisions. Just they throw everything out. They throw, they're throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater. They're just burning a whole house down. Like oh, we'll just buy a new one, or yeah. we'll buy a new neighborhood, whatever. And it doesn't they're, work that way. Well, there are cement makers. I understand. I mean, they just. <laughs> 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 but you know, right. it, it, it's just they just sure it's it's been short-sighted the Alvarez family and the and the uh, I forget the other family, but you know they they just short-sighted. I mean they should they should have stuck with it. I mean they should have just stuck with it, and you know it would have it would have you know they would have won something by now. You know a, a league or or something if they would have just stuck with the plan. Because I mean I I think I was talking to Hoyle about this not too long ago. You know, in the past, in the past 15 years, Cruz Azul has had some of the the best, you know, squads in the in the Mexican league. Like, I mean, in the early, you know, in the in the in the what 2002, 2003, 2004. Oh, yeah. They, had, they had, yeah, I mean, they had, they, I mean, they had Pinero, they had, uh, you know, like you said, you know, Chelito Delgado, they had his his partner in crime. Uh, forget what's his name. Um, was it the Luciano Figueroa? Uh, Luciano Figueroa. Yeah, Luciano Figueroa. Chelito Delgado. Chelito Delgado. Yeah, they had, you know, they had Sebastian, Sebastian Abreu. I mean, they had just, I mean, they were they were loaded. I mean, they were just a stacked team, but for, for one reason or another, they just kept, you know, losing. I mean, they got their asses handed to them by uh, Phoenix. And you know you're why? What is it? Six nothing or six one or something like that. So you know, I it's it's a shame because 
Camoranesi before he won the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate because, I mean, they're they're a team strong following, you know, historic team. All right, yeah, so on that note. Sad, it's sad to see. You know, winding so. down on that, on the note, on the low note. Man, we, we, we can't end it on a downer like that. Come on. <laughs> last, any last comments? <laughs> no, let's make, let's let it, let's, let's. Let's end it on a down note. You know, I know we have a, a couple of BS, you know, guys from you know Big Soccer Mexico that are Cruz Azul fans. Just you know, get them a little more depressed. Metalero. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the only thing I have to say, if, if you, you guys know what? get a chance, watch the uh, interview that uh, Juan Carlos Osorio did on Univision. Uh, they've got it up on their website, and it's really interesting. And he, uh, I mean, uh, the the one thing I'll say that that, that he wants to do, which just shocked me, was. Uh, in, when they play their home games at the Azteca, he's only going to play with two midfielders. He's going to go. He's going to go four-two-four. That's a good. That's a good topic for next week because this is something that that uh, Nestor de la Torre and Yayo de la Torre talked about um, having different approaches to the qualifiers compared to the cup tournaments, the Gold Cup, and subsequently the World Cup. You can't play them both. You can't play them both with the same sort of approach, and I think that John, we we sort of we were going to talk about it today, but seeing how we're going to have national team games coming up, I think it's a good subject to bring up next next uh, next week. All right, all right. Well, one last thing uh, about Osorio. One thing that I did not like was oh was yes, you know you know what I'm about to say. I you know he he didn't have to uh, divulge the information that he had to convince. You know, Vela to play again because first of all, we don't know the context of the conversation. You know what? I we, do know the context of the conversation because I listened to the interview. Oh, so, so he did talk about. He, yeah. What? He said it's bollocks. No, I mean, what, what ended up happening was the guy asked him, said, "What are you?" I said, "What about Vela? What? Uh, you know?" He, he said, "You guys." He says he's been, he's been unsure. You know, you know, the, the, especially in the last cycle. And I think that, that what, from what I listened to it without knowing, pretending like I didn't know anything, from from what it sounded like to me was. That uh, Osorio was uh, agreeing with the guy, and, and he said, "Yeah, you know, Vela was not convinced about playing these, you know, about playing these qualifiers, which he wasn't, at, you know, in the last cycle." He said, "But but now I see a guy who who was completely committed, and he's going to be ready for us." I so agree. I, I don't necessarily Sorry. think that he had to convince him at all. I just think that he was just answering the question and then saying how he how he saw the guy now. I just it's just the way he came about the way the way it came about, and then the press. Are basically attacking Vela, you know, you know, prima donna and stuff like that. Like, like, what did he have to gain by, you know, venting this out again? You know you what? Know? I'm gonna be the first one to say if he didn't wanna represent our country, to send them where you know the sun doesn't shine. But you know, I think this is more of an interpretation. Alaska? No, no, the sun does shine there a few times. Okay, all right. Well, point, point <laughs> is the that I think this is more of an interpretation <laughs> and situation for the press. Yeah, I, yeah. It, the guy already skipped out on, on three years of national team play. If you really want, if you didn't want to come, you just why would he come? You know, it just doesn't doesn't make sense. I think we can go into go into it a little more uh, in depth next time. All right. <laughs> you know, I, I got a comment. Uh, I got a comment about uh, the recent uh, Osorio interviews. I guess when he was, uh, <clears throat> I guess first he one of the interviews he mentioned uh, Baños was going to be. Uh, one of his assistants, which I thought was interesting, because you have some continuation of, uh, you know, Piojo's uh, regime. And uh, the other one is, to me, 
you know, bringing in this coach is, is just window window dressing because he stated, oh, Mexico's objective is to, I don't remember the exact context, but basically they pointed to the fifth game, which to me it's, it's just a waste of time if that's your main objective. Well. Yeah, we'll see. Well, you know we'll what, when you happens, go dude. 30 years by losing the fourth game, then maybe the fifth game isn't such a bad objective. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. Thanks a lot, everyone, for joining. Thanks for getting uh, Pajaro on, Ronnie. That was good. Yep. It's not the Pajaro we expected, but it's the one we have. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other one's like a U.S. fan, man. No. Negro? <laughs> yeah. No, that well, was. He says he's not. Did you guys ever hear the Polo Polo joke about the Pajaro y el Chango? Sounds racist. No, did, did you guys ever hear about that? No. Go, go, Google the joke, you know, from Polo Polo about the jungle uh, and the pack. You're going to close it out with a joke, man. <laughs> no. Hey, I think I'd rather you read a book instead. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks, All right, everybody. Good show, guys. Y'all have a good weekend. Think of me when I'm freezing my ass off in Iowa. Uh, SoccerChronicle.com. All you viewers out there. The two viewers that are out there. See you guys later. All right, later. See you guys. See ya.